You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 51, as we conclude our series entitled Getting in Shape. I, I pray that this series over the last four weeks has been beneficial to you. Again, as we see small adjustments that we can make to our lives that result in big kingdom differences. Uh, Today, like I said earlier, we're going to talk about confession and we're going to talk about worship. Now, just like prayer and fasting went hand in hand, we're going to learn hopefully today that confession and worship also go hand in hand. Uh, let, Let me ask you a question. How many of you have certain childhood memories that have been burned into your mind? Like, if you think about it, you can remember what it felt like. You can remember the smell of the place. You, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, how about the first time you ever went um, on, what about your first date? How many of you can remember your first date? Does anybody like girls and guys in here and date? Okay, one person, all right. Um, how many of you guys can remember your first car? What that felt like when you saw your first car, your first taste of freedom? I've got... Um, <clears throat> I've got a memory that's still burned into my mind, and it's, it's, don't judge me, okay? It's the first time I cheated in school. How many of you guys remember cheating in school? Look at all the liars we have at our church. Some of you ain't raising your hand because your kids are in here. That's what it is. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I remember my first time I ever cheated in school, it was in kindergarten, and um, <clears throat> such a true story, so bad. So we were taking a spelling test, and this is how the teacher had us take the spelling test. She gave us the test on a sheet of paper, gives us a second paper. We're supposed to cover up the words that we're being tested on, not look at them, write them down, and she calls them out word by word, and then we're going to remove that paper, and we were going to grade ourselves. How many of you know that was a horrible idea? I was being tempted by Satan himself. Now, I'm, I'm going through this test, and everything is right until she gets to the word gray. Is it... G-R-E-Y? Is it G-R-A-Y? I'm stressing out. I mean, we're talking about this is my college transcript right here in kindergarten. And so I cheated. I moved the paper down to the side, and it's G-R-A-Y. I wrote it out real quick. Gave it in. 100% on the test. Big old gold star on it. How many remember the big gold star sticker, smiley face and all that? I had it. But, but there was something inside of me that was just racked with guilt. I was just feeling so guilty. And I was like, I know i got to go tell the teacher. But I know if I go tell the teacher, like all of a sudden they're going to haul me off to kindergarten, juvenile hall. It's going to be like my, my Harvard dreams are over. I'm going to die. All this worst you could think of. But I still had to do it. So I go to my teacher and I, and, and I said, I, uh, I cheated. And so she grabs me, I still remember, she grabs me and she brings me in front of the entire class. I'm like, great, here comes public execution. And, and, and she says to the class, she said, Jeremy did something really bad, but he also did something awesome. He confessed what he did, and so I'm still going to give him 100%. And somewhere deep down in my kindergarten soul, I began to say, thank you, Jesus. 
with God. And I sat down because I knew that, you know, I wasn't going to juvie anymore. I knew that Harvard was still... I pro- no, Harvard was never, never going to be a part of my future. But I, but I still thought that, okay, I've got, I've got a future ahead of me still. Despite what I've done, you hear me? Despite what I've done, I still had a future. Despite where I'd been, I still had a future. You understand? My, my, my confession led to redemption, and my redemption led to my worship. I began praising God. I'm not going to die. And it all stemmed from a conviction of the sin that was in my life. It pained me. My sin pained me. Problem is, as we get older, do we still feel pained by the sin in our life? Do we still carry conviction? Or let me ask you something. Have we gotten used to it? Have we gotten so used to sin? Have we gotten so used to making poor choices? Have we gotten so used to it that it no longer convicts us? And if we get to that point, guess what? When we're not convicted, we're not confessing. And when we're not confessing, our worship becomes lukewarm at best. Because to understand something, my worship will be in direct proportion to the way that I confess my sin to God and I recognize my need for Him. I said this before, and, and forgive me for saying it again. I, I, growing up in Hawaii, there would be times where there would be people who were swimming out in the water, and they had no idea that they were in trouble. So I'd go over there, and we'd save them and bring them over to the beach. They'd kind of look at us like, what's that about? But then there would be others who knew they were in trouble. They understood that they were drowning. And so when we paddle on over there, and we grab them and take them to the beach, you know what their response was every single time? He said, thank you. See, you and I, there was a time where we were drowning in our sins. And how many of you know we still make sinful decisions today, don't we? But do we recognize that we have a Savior who's pulled us to shore? And if we do, does that affect our worship? Does that impact how we worship Him? Today we're going to talk about those two disciplines, confession and worship, and then, we're, like I said, we're going to carve out some time to actually do it. Because it's one thing to hear it, it's one thing to talk about it, it's another thing to do these disciplines, isn't it? One of the things I love about social media is I get to kind of spy on you guys. It's awesome. And, 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 and some of y'all, it's fun to watch, like training for marathons, like the crazy, that's awesome. And I see others that are like all into burn boot camp. Anybody in here that does that burn boot camp? Yeah, because they're sick, those people that do that. But that's okay. I'm glad none of you are. But I mean, like these hardcore exercising things, this is what I've come to realize, that just watching them exercise, reading about them exercising, I'm not getting in any better shape. <laughs> you know why? I got to do it. And so here, here's what happens in church, and you've got to be so careful of this, is that we'll come into church and we'll hear all these stories, we'll feel good for a minute, we'll be inspired, but we've got to do it. Otherwise, we'll never move from being spiritually out of shape to spiritually in shape. How many of you hear me? We got, we, got, we got to do in order to become. We have to do in order to become. And so today, I want to spend a little bit of time becoming as we exercise this. Listen, the, I'm going to be honest too with you. With these two disciplines that we're going to talk about, 
we're really only going to have time to go an inch deep, maybe a mile wide, maybe a half a mile wide. We could take the entire 2018 calendar, preaching calendar, and just talk about worship. You can, because worship is so rich, and it's so deep, and it's so transformative. But for the reason of time, we're going we're to just talk a little bit about it. And I encourage you to spend more time on your own studying worship, studying what's it about. You'll see when we talk about the discipline of confession, listen to 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-9. through 9. It says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we what? Confess our sins, He is faithful and just. And read this part with me. And we'll... Humana, humana, humana. <laughs> Let's try it again. And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Not some unrighteousness. Not, not, not just the not so bad unrighteous acts. Not just, you know, the ones that are slightly embarrassing. What he'll forgive us of is all unrighteousness. Every single thing in our life. That's powerful. Every single thing in my life, he will cleanse me of that. If I do what? Confess it. If I confess it. And, 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 and just so nobody's too cocky in here, understand, if we claim to be without sin, we what? So there's everybody in here. Can we get on the same page real quick? We are all sinners. Right? Raise your hand if you are a sinner. Sir, don't raise your wife's hand. Please don't do that. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. We are all Sinners. Therefore, we are all in need of confession. And as we confess, like I said, it, we are then moved to redemption because his word promises it, that he is faithful. He's faithful. If I'm convicted of my sin and I confess, what I'm not confessing is to a God who may or may not forgive me, depending on his mood. I'm confessing to a God who is faithful. Who does not change. Who was the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the God who says, draw near to me. And it don't matter what you've done. It don't matter where you've been. I am for you. I am for you. In your notes, you can write this down. The confession of sin is a discipline that we need to practice often. Why? Because we sin often. And sin becomes an obstacle in our relationship with God. I love what St. Alphonse says. He says this, For a good confession, three things are necessary. First is an examination of our conscience. The second is sorrow. And the third is a determination to avoid sin. Let's real quick talk about an examination of our conscience. What is that? It's an invitation for the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the stuff we got going on. How I many of you know, like we just admitted, we all got junk in the trunk, right? Stuff that we, we're not happy is in there. And the Holy Spirit will speak to us by an examination of our conscience to speak to those deep parts of our lives, those hidden parts of our lives that would reveal sin. Listen, I'm so sinful, I got something I'm embarrassed about to even admit to you. I'm so sinful that not only do I know some of my sin, but I'm so sinful, sometimes I forget some of my sin. In fact, I'm so sinful, I don't even know some of the sin that's in my life. How many of you know, that's not just me. That's all of us. And so it's an invitation to say, Holy Spirit, look within me. If there's anything 
that would cause a separation between my heart and yours, show me that it may be dealt with. That is an examination of our conscience. This is what Psalm 60, uh, 26 verse 2 would say. It says, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart. What a powerful prayer that is, isn't it? Examine me. Look deep within me. And let me know if there's anything that offends you. So after that examination of our sorrow, it sh- of our conscience, it should move us to sorrow. Sorrow because our hearts should be so overwhelmed with passionate love for our God that to do anything that would cause Him hurt, pain, it should move us. You know what that means? We need to stay tender to God. We need to stay fresh and tender to God. Maybe some of you that were married for 20 years, you'll understand this. How many of you remember there was a time in your relationship with your spouse that when you said the wrong thing to them, it really bothered you? But something happened over the course of time where you could say something, maybe it wasn't the right thing, but she'll get over it. She knows I didn't mean it. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about either. Right? It's not that you don't love, but but, but is that passion and tenderness still there? Are you keeping the fire alive? Are you keeping it burning? See, when I do that with the Lord, then when I see those areas of my life that's far from Him, you know what it does? It causes me sorrow. It causes me sorrow. And then what it does is it causes me to be determined to avoid sin. That's the last one. A determination to avoid sin. What is that? We're asking God to give us desire for holy living and a hatred for unholy living. What does this look like? There's this guy in the Bible. If you've been here any amount of time, you know he's, he's one of my favorites. It, it's King David. King David has become king over all of Israel. And he's sitting up on his palace roof one day and he looks across... And he just sees this fine-looking woman. And he's like, that I want. He goes and he gets her, sleeps with her. But it turns out it's somebody's wife. And so what he desires to do is to have this guy's wife. And um, in order to make that happen, he has Uzziah killed in battle. So that then he can marry his wife, Bathsheba. He does all that, and then there's this preacher who's been traveling around, and his name's Nathan. And he walks up to David, and he says, David, there's a story I've got to tell you, something that's happening inside your country. He says, there's this really, really poor shepherd. He only has one lamb, and he loves it like it's his own child. Like, dude, he feeds it and, like, sleeps right next to it. It's crazy. He said, and there's this other guy in your kingdom. He's so rich, he has all this cattle, all the sheep that he could possibly have, and, 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 and there's this other guy that came into town and he wanted to party. So he went to the rich guy's house. And the rich guy, instead of sacrificing one of his sheep, one of his cattle, to party, he went to the poor guy's house and took his one and only sheep. And David looks at this preacher and he says, that man is going to die. And Nathan looks at him and he says, that man is you. You took his wife, despite your wife and all the concubines that you have and everything that you have in the kingdom, you took this one man's wife. 
Now, how does David react? Because how David reacts is really important. First of all, how many of you are like blown away that God can use someone who had an affair and killed the guy and then God could still use that person? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm just guessing if I had an affair and killed that woman's husband, Pastor Farrell's going to fire me, <laughs> which is okay because my wife will kill me first. He can't fire me. But he goes ahead and, and Nathan talks to him. And here's what David doesn't say. David doesn't say to Nathan, shut up. Don't tell anybody. He doesn't cover it up. He's king of Israel. Don't you know what he could do to Nathan? Throw him in prison. Hide it. Cover it up. But David writes this in Psalm 51. Here's his response. Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt and purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. And against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. And you will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yet from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. So purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again because you've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt and create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. And says, don't cast me from your presence, O oh God, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey you. Now listen to what he says. That's going to happen. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O oh God, who says, then I will joyfully sing of your praises. Did you catch that? Forgive me, God. I'm not covering this one up. Even if I could, I won't. Lord, I've sinned against you, and it grieves my heart. The pain it's causing inside of me is breaking me. And so, God, I need you to do what only you can do. I need you to forgive. And God, if you forgive me, here's what's going to happen. I am going to be out there preaching your word, and I'm going to be in here worshiping like crazy. Because confession leads to redemption, and redemption leads to worship. That was a reason why God could use someone like David, because he was a man after his own heart. Not in the fact that he was perfect, because he wasn't. He just demonstrated that. But because at the end of the day, he had a heart that was passionate for God. And anything that would come between him and the Lord grieved him deeply. Does it you? I mean, that's a real question, right? Because we're not playing games in here. How many of you, how many of you would say... God is who he says he is, and he's real. <laughs> that he's living, he's active, that he is on the throne, that he's creator. If that's true, then how many of us got to get real with him? If this is true, then that is true, right? If this is true, that he is God, then that is true, that we need to have our hearts so tender and for him. See, it leads to worship. Let's talk about worship real quick. 
To worship God is to ascribe the proper worth to God. It's the action of coming humbly before a holy God and giving honor and praise and adoration. That's what worship is. It's recognizing Him for who He is. Worship changes us. Worship moves us. And there's so many ways that we can worship, from clapping of our hands to to raising our hands to dancing before the Lord. Um, How many of you would like to see a few people dance before the Lord in here? Come on up, Jesse. She danced. I'll tell you what. She'll dance. Listen, it's this joyful, exuberant expression of God, I love you. And I'll praise you. William Temple said this, To worship is to quicken the consciousness by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. That's good. It's all about who? Him. Being shaped, changed, molded, transformed by worship. Because we've come to a place of realizing our deep dependency upon Him. Worship is the means to seek, focus on, and respond to God. Worship is more than an event in which we participate, but the way we live our lives. Did you catch that? It's more than an event in which we participate. It's the way we live our lives. As we seek God and honor Him in every area of our life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 Paul tells us a little bit more about what that looks like. He tells us that worship isn't just coming in to church on a Sunday morning or going to a night of worship on a Sunday night and singing songs. It's about wanting you entirely, your whole body, being, mind, soul given to him. He says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Read this with me. This is your Don't miss what's being said. Maybe you're not picking up here. What's being said in here is how much God loves you. That he would say to you, I don't want just part of you. I want all of who you are. I don't just want your lips. I just don't want your vocal cords. I just don't want your ability to clap your hands. What I want is everything about you. That's how much I love you. It's one of the things that blows me away about my wife. I love her. Number one, because she's she's crazy. She likes me. I mean, and 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 there's a lot not to like, I'm telling you. But she loves me not in part but in whole. She doesn't want just a part of my world. She wants my entire world. You know what that's called? It's called love. And if that's true for my wife, man, imagine the ramifications of that, that God is saying the same thing to you. That you're so incredibly special to Him. He doesn't want any part of your world not being in worship of Him. Confession is this. Confession is agreement with God. That's what it is. Literally, confession is being in agreement with God. So if there's areas in my life that I need God to shape and mold so that they might be in agreement with Him, my question is this, do I do that? Worship is the avenue through which we discover and live out our destiny, our purpose, 
and our potential. And it all begins how? By saying, Lord, show me what's going on inside here. Examine me. Test me, O God, and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way within me. Is there anything under the hood that, I, that I'm not noticing? Because I love you that much that I want to hear it. I don't want to turn a blind eye to it. I don't want to pretend it's not there. I don't want to be apathetic towards you. Righteousness and purity and holiness is not something I'm willing to be apathetic about. Lord, I want you passionately. And so reveal to me. So this morning, we're going to do what David did. We're going to enter into a time of confession here. But it's going to begin with you being brave. How many of you know God speaks? Say it again. How many of you know God speaks? How many of you know His Holy Spirit wants to speak to you today? So I'd ask you to close your eyes. And just ask the Holy Spirit maybe to show you an area of your life that He wants to take a hold of an area of your life that's not in alignment with Him. An area of your life that you need to confess to Him that you've fallen short of His glory. to you today. You can open your eyes. What maybe He revealed to you today is not to chain you down with shame and guilt. See, sorrow leads to a changed life. That's what He's after. Not your guilt. Not your shame. He wants to bring you closer to Him this morning. Now I know in some churches, you know, depending on the denomination you grew up in or you're familiar with, they they have confessionals that you would read out loud together. We're actually going to do that this morning. And really what it is, is it's no more different than what we just read in Psalm 51. It, 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 it's, it, it's a confessing to God that we are in need of Him. So would you stand with me this morning? And as you're mindful of what the Holy Spirit revealed to you, those areas of sin that maybe you become apathetic to, Today we confess together and read this out loud with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. Through the provision of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. We also confess our great need of you. We confess that our knowledge, our talent, and our experience is insufficient for the challenges we face. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us to live a life that brings honor to you. Amen. And Lord, that's what we do today. Lord, we come before you this morning. 
God, not with our heads hanging low, but with our heads raised high because we know we're looking into the eyes of our Father who is faithful and just and willing to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, this morning, we, your people, we thank you that you are not the God that distances yourself from us in our times of failures, but you're the God that presses closer and closer and closer because you love us that much. And so, Lord, that moves us to a place today. It's not a place of apathy. It's not a place of dry living. It's a place of fervent, passionate worship because you and you alone deserve our worship. Let's praise Him. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.